0: Welcome to the Cherry Becker Tax Podcast with a focus today on our tax credits and incentives advisory practice. My name is Marty Kerman. I'm the national leader of our tax credits incentives advisory practice. And every month, we're going to highlight issues affecting tax credits and incentives, the tax credits and incentive landscape specifically. Examples were, are going to include legislative and regulatory updates, what we're seeing in the marketplace, how to manage tax credits and incentives uh, engagements. How technology is affecting the ability of taxpayers to claim CNI benefits. Some of the drivers affecting taxpayers as they make decisions as to whether to pursue credits and incentives. Uh, how to build a CNI practice and also careers in CNI. Um, but today, let me focus and introduce you to my two partners in our tax credits and incentives advisory practice, where the focus of our practice is uh, incentives specific to R and D, energy hiring and capital spend planning primarily from a federal perspective with a mix of some state and local uh incentives in there as well but these are my partners ron wainwright and dan metal ron how are you and where are you today
1: i'm doing very well marty and i am in uh, raleigh north carolina which is uh, home for me excellent
0: and dan how about yourself how are you and where are you today
2: doing great thanks marty i'm here in silicon valley Home for me, the heart of R&D for tech companies.
0: Yes, it is. So we thought as we began today with our focus on tax credits and incentives, one of the issues that we see um, many of our clients grappling with is how to choose a provider. Clearly, we're in the marketplace talking to clients, um, proposing certain uh, tax credits and incentives projects to them. Uh, hopefully and theoretically in a holistic way, taking into account their overall tax positions, but we do also encounter uh, clients who are approached by a number of boutiques today. So I thought it'd be interesting um, to solicit the thoughts of both Dan and Ron, and I can add some commentary myself, with respect to what we're seeing in the marketplace. Over the last 10 years, I think we've seen a number and an increase in the number of boutique firms offering to prepare primarily like R&D studies for clients, And generally, these boutiques offer a contingent fee arrangement in the area of anywhere from like 20 to 30% of the gross benefits of the credits identified. From our perspective, we do things differently. Uh, We generally spend time working with clients, scoping out benefits um, before we even get into a formal proposal where we would then provide a budget, perhaps on a time and materials basis with a cap. Um, But we do a lot of homework up front before we really get into the fee arrangement. But I wanted to first give uh, a question to Ron. Ron, in the context of uh, a CPA firm like Cherry Becker, we follow uh, the rules under Circular 230. I was wondering if you might be able to give some thought or our listeners some background with respect to Circular 230, why it exists, how it affects CPA firms, and and how we follow it, whereas the boutiques uh, have a different view on what they need to follow.
1: Uh, Excellent question, Marty, and this is a large differentiator uh, between working with a firm such as Cherry Becker uh, compared to to a boutique firm. So... uh In 1921, just from a historical perspective, Circular 230 uh, was combined into what was referred to as a single governing circular. Uh, The Treasury Department uh, issued Circular 230, which really speaks to the laws and the regulations governing uh, the recognition of attorneys, CPAs, and, and agents who represent clients before the the, the Treasury Department. Uh, and you will notice in that background that if uh, a boutique firm uh, who is a not CPA firm it is not uh, governed uh, by Circular 230. Um, there were some substantial amendments made in, in 2005, which is where uh, I'll say most uh, practitioners as well as clients became aware uh, of a number of what uh, we would refer to as, you know, kind of well-known provisions. Uh, but what what does Circular 230 contain? It contains the rules of conduct in in preparing uh, tax returns um, and substantial positions uh, in in those tax returns. So again, it's it's really for persons who are preparing um, tax returns and substantial positions in returns. Um, and it gives us six areas of guidance. I'll only really speak to, to three today, which basically indicates that within a return, which of course an R credit is claimed within a return. Um, it must have a realistic possibility of the position being sustained on its merits, which from an R&D perspective, uh, section 41 and 174, the statute. Um, it uh, also speaks to um, really what a CPA firm can and cannot do, uh, which is a very large differentiator between a boutique firm and, and Cherry Beckert, as well as other CPA firms in regards to uh, charging the, the client an unconscionable fee uh, with respect to the service being provided. And that term is specifically uh, used. So as an example, as Marty highlighted um a lot of boutique firms, majority of boutique firms actually charge uh, a contingency fee, a percentage of the R&D credit that is actually uh, claimed on the return. We, on the other hand, are not allowed to do that. Uh, and we do everything on, on a time and materials basis. Um, the other thing that I would highlight that candidly we see as a differentiator between ourselves and, and, and other maybe boutique firms is um, you... Uh, cannot solicit a business um, using what is referred to as a false claim in her circular 230. Um, And candidly, we do see a lot of boutique firms and just not the R and D space, but other uh, service offerings, which will make uh, you know very specific uh, statements and claims about their practice. When in fact, um, under Circuit Two Hundred and Thirty, uh, that would be considered as soliciting the business using a uh, a false statement, uh, if you will. So, uh, a little bit of background on Circuit Two Hundred and Thirty. Uh, it affects all CPA firms, and and candidly, it's a it's a quality. Uh, uh, provision by utilizing a firm such as Becker or another CPA firm in regards to uh, uh, certainly the R&D credit as a whole.
0: Ron, that was awesome. Thank you so much for that background. It really does set the stage um, for why we operate the way that we do. And I'll move the next question for discussion over to Dan right now. And I touched on a little bit of this, but like Dan, from your perspective, how do we as a CPA firm, and maybe your roles in prior CPA firms, differ in our approach from a boutique? Just sort of a free-for-all question for you, but what are your thoughts there?
2: Yeah, thanks, Marty. And this really piggybacks off some of the items that Ron covered, and so thanks, Ron. Um, the way we approach this differently, we really view the credits and incentives as, part of, as a, part of our overall tax service offering. It's not a one-off product, and we, we work seamlessly with other members of our firm, our compliance teams, our audit, and our advisory groups. We never offer, as Ron said, contingent fee pricing. We view the credit opportunities as belonging to our clients, not something we are giving to them. And we focus on servicing our clients end-to-end. We really believe our reputation is built upon serving our clients end-to-end holistically and putting quality above, uh, you know, like maximizing the credit. From the start, Uh, we want to ensure that we've addressed any issues with the ability to monetize the credit. This could be from uh, an NOL position or any concerns on the structure. So, again, thinking through what that means, that's not something that a boutique firm that doesn't understand complicated structures or potential NOL positions and the use of attributes, that's not really something they can do. So, that's a difference. We want to ensure that the credit Um, the the client is aware of deadlines, state deadlines. Some of those state deadlines are fairly complicated and you have to follow specific processes of when you file them. So we're very hands-on and help our clients through those processes and those deadlines. And if we see practices within a company that put a client at risk, we try to make proactive suggestions to them. Examples of this would be if we review a contract and there's uh, language in there around risk or rights, and we know, that they're renewing those contracts uh, in the future, we can let the client know that, you know, this specific language led to this conclusion. So they think about that going forward. Um, We ensure another example that job descriptions exist um, so that um, clients can, again, proactively work with their HR departments and create job descriptions or create more accurate job descriptions that will um, put the clients less at risk under this normal exam procedure where job descriptions are pulled under an IRS exam. So those are yeah, a few examples.
0: To, yeah, If I had to summarize what you were saying, I think we view, we view our role as a trusted advisor specific to the credits, but really beyond that for purposes of constantly improving, whereas I think a lot of times the boutiques are selling projects from a one-off perspective. Um, yeah, so we've I covered, agree,
2: Marty. That's a great summary.
0: Thanks. So we, we've covered the rules under which that we follow under which we operate and we've covered you know what our approach is when we're working with clients i want to take a little bit from the client perspective and i'll throw this first to ron ron you know in your career oftentimes we will work with clients where they have worked with boutique before and then they end up working with us at a later time from your pers- perspective what frustrations you know have we as a firm observed on the part of our clients when working with a boutique firm that they may tell us about and then it drives us, drives them over to working with
1: us? No, an excellent question, Marty. I, I would say over my years of practice, uh, you know, we've seen a, a number of uh, frustrations, uh, specifically with clients that have utilized a, a boutique firm. Um, so I'll start with our quality control. So quality is job one in our practice, as we know. And so We have a quality control process whereby if a boutique firm is used, and we, of course, are preparing the return to my Circular 230 comments, um, we have a quality control review process that we look at that uh, claim. And probably one of the larger frustrations that we find is that we uh, rarely are able to obtain an electronic copy or really a copy of the uh, IRS ready deliverable in the context of the R&D credit claim that uh, a boutique firm had used. Um, what we've also found is they seemingly, as we call or kind of request information to to do the quality control, is that they will change staff. So they're, the boutique firms um, do not necessarily have a consistent staffing. Um, what I commented is what we have found is that the boutique firms put more focus on their marketing as opposed to the quality of their project delivery. Um, And this is important because we have uh, seen scenarios where uh, if the credit had been claimed by that, that client utilizing a boutique firm, they could have subjected themselves to a civil penalty provision in the Internal Revenue Code, which is 6676, which is actually and stands for an erroneous claim for for refund or credit. And that is actually a a 20% uh, penalty uh, of what's referred to as the excessive amount of the R&D credit claim. And so as you're being paid uh, based on a percentage of the R&D credit, we see boutique firms taking very, very aggressive positions and actually Incorrect tactical positions. Uh, uh, so they uh elect incorrectly the traditional credit over the uh, alternative simplified credit method. Uh, We've seen mistakes when calculating the credit, specifically in the context of the acquisitions and dispositions that the the client or the taxpayer uh, had uh, occurred in their trade or business. There's very specific rules in Section 41 that talk about um, how we must realign in an acquisition or disposition the base years. Um, They... um, interestingly enough, miss a lot of opportunities um, as the private equity group space has really grown over the last 10 or 15 years. We see boutique firms uh, having really almost an inability to assess the viability and or uh, the credit among what would be referred to as portfolio companies in a private equity uh, context. Uh, we also f- have found um, specifically in, in reviewing some amended returns uh, that they don't understand how to file a partnership uh, return underneath the BBA regime um, or the you or the utilization of what's re- often referred to as the administrative adjustment regime, um, which which came in uh, to the statute in, in 2018. Um, we have also seen uh, where disclosures which are required for the IRS uh, to accept the claim uh, are not done uh, correctly. Uh, that is the most recent experience we've had. Um, and, and we've seen that they also underneath the employee retention credit, another uh, provision that came underneath the CARE Act, they do not account for the qualified research expenses correctly when they have claimed the employee retention credit um, underneath the employee uh, retention credit regime that came in underneath the CARES Act in, in 2020. And, and so uh, you're not allowed to double dip, and we've seen them incorrectly uh, make calculations or just simply ignore uh, the statute in regards to um, the haircut, if you will, in uh, evaluating your qualified research expenses for a client that has, in fact, claimed the, the employee retention credit. Um, So I think my conclusion or comment would be of what frustrations we find is quality. Um, Our job is to obviously be very client advocate oriented, but we believe quality is job one. Um, And a big differentiator beyond Circular 230 is when you're being paid as a percentage of a credit that you're claiming, you do begin to to lose, in in my opinion, um, objectivity. Um, And actually, that is uh, one of the areas out of the six that are cited in Circular 230 is where a a tax or, or a provider cannot be in a conflict position. And so one could argue you're in a conflict position when you're providing a service and you're being paid for how Large of a credit uh, you claim, and then as I mentioned, the uh, the real quality issue which clients and taxpayers don't understand is the erroneous claim for for refund or credit, and we have seen that applied significantly uh, across uh, some of the uh, the boutique firms uh, that we have done quality reviews on.
0: So, so Ron, it's interesting. Um, I was on a call with a client and a boutique firm. Uh, just yesterday, where uh, I observed the boutique firm providing the advice to the client that IRS guidance was there for nothing more than to terrify taxpayers and should not be respected, and I, I found that uh, we'll just say disturbing <laughs> when 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 considering that that was the advice they were giving. Um, with that in mind, and 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 I and the last point here I think we'll cover today is it, I don't think it's only ourselves as a CPA firm that notices the differences between the way that we practice. And, and the boutique may practice, it's also the IRS. And so for both Dan and Ron here, um, you know, the IRS recently issued rules specific to claims and for refund in the R&D context. Um, and some have made the case that these rules are a direct response to the large increase in R&D credit claims being filed by taxpayers using boutique firms. Um, I think it makes a little bit of sense. We might have covered this on some other podcasts, but to cover what those rules are about, what they require, and uh, then maybe we'll leave it at that for this podcast. But I think it's it's interesting because we've talked about, again, our observations, the way we practice, clients' observations, the rules under which we operate. And now maybe here's an IRS response in terms of the way um, things are, what they see in the market, we'll say in the marketplace for them, what they see out there from, from taxpayers and from providers. So what are your thoughts there on the new rules?
2: Yeah, and I'm happy to walk through that. One more comment I wanted to make on that last section about the frustrations and using a boutique firm, when Ron was being kind. Probably one of the biggest observations they find out once we take over that work is that they're paying far too much. So in addition to the all of the quality issues that Ron went through, most clients end up paying quite the premium for that lower quality work. So there's some irony in that. Um, Just to quickly go through or remind the listeners about what this new IRS guidance required uh, for amended claims, uh, three, three main points here before we make some comments or observations on those. You have to identify all the business components to which the Section 41 research credit claim relates for the year. For each business component, identify all research activities performed and name the individuals who performed each research activity, as well as the information each individual sought to discover. And then lastly, provide the total qualified employee wage expenses, total qualified supply expenses, and total, total qualified contract research costs for the claim year, uh, all, all of which can be done on the Form 6765.
1: Uh, So I'll uh, leverage off Dan's comments and and speak to the the General Counsel memorandum uh, that was issued October 15th of uh, 2021. Um, And, you know, it's interesting to to Marty's comment is that I do believe strongly um, that uh, boutique firms, based on our experience, not all, but based on our experience, um, have a tendency to use the statute and and the regulations as uh, almost very just broad guardrails as opposed to actual law and the interpretation of the law. Um, And so part of the background of of what Dan was speaking about around the valid research credit claim uh, for refunds, specifically in amended returns, was that the uh, chief counsel uh, wanted to ensure Based on their experience, um, that certain elements uh, were being followed uh, specifically with respect to the amended return, and Dan highlighted, you know, three areas around, you know, the business components, um, and then. Clearly, from the business component perspective, you're going to provide the information actually in filing the amended return around, you know, what were the research activities performed, the individuals who perform those research activities. You know, uh, and then ultimately what is often referred to as, you know, qualified uh, employee wages expense and total qualified supply expenses. All of these elements are in a R&D study. But to my comment previously, what, what we found is, in fact, a lot of boutique firms do not have all those elements. They use the statute and the regulations of uh, the, you know, just very broad uh, um, guardrails, if you will. Um, what we find and what we have found, and we did um, write a uh, article on this, um, as well as uh, uh, we completed a podcast on this, is that we actually did not find anything in the Chief Counsel Memorandum um, that was not in the statute or the regulations. So the chief counsel memorandum caused quite a stir in the boutique firm community. In fact, there was a recent article uh, that was uh, written by um, someone with a very large boutique firm, and they were actually arguing against, ironically, what the chief counsel memorandum outlined as to what would be required as you filed uh, an amended return. Um in regards to claiming the R&D credit, um, not within a a timely filed return with extensions. And so it was somewhat interesting to read the article because they were actually almost arguing against the tax law and the interpretation of the tax law. And remember that the R&D credit has been in the statute permanent uh, since 1981. So it has a long life, a long history. A lot of court cases um, can be often complex and and misunderstood uh, as to the actual statute and the underlying interpretation of of the regulations. Um, You know, well, the one thing I would highlight um, in regards to our practice um, is that we deliver an audit-ready deliverable. um, So in the event uh, that uh, a taxpayer or client would ever be examined. We stand behind our work 100%. um, And we actually uh, embed uh, the audit technique guideline or provisions of the audit technique guideline in regards to our deliverable. Um, We have not found that uh, within any uh, of our quality control reviews of any boutique firm, um, from West Coast to where Dan sits, to the East Coast in Raleigh uh, to where I sit, and then Marty. Uh, sits up in in New York and DC. um, And we just have not, um, you know, experienced that a boutique firm stands behind their work um, 100% as we do. Um, So that hopefully is some additional commentary uh, around the chief council memorandum. um, And please be aware that it is in effect, um, post-January 10th of uh, 2022, um, and any amended returns that uh, would be filed post that need to ensure that they are aligning with the, the Chief Counsel memorandum.
0: Thank you, Ron and Dan. That was excellent. I mean, in short, any firm that's that does their homework on behalf of their client, that's nothing to be afraid of. I've always viewed that as an opportunity to differentiate our work From another provider who didn't take the time to have that information readily available and disclose it properly to the IRS. So, with that said, I think today's been really good. Your comments have been helpful, uh, hopefully, to our listeners, definitely to me. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Ron, for your insights. Thank you to our listeners for listening. And I guess as a final disclaimer, the material uh, here has been presented for informational purposes only. It's not intended to provide and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should obviously consult your own tax legal and accounting advisors before engaging in any transaction. But thank you again for listening and we appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk about or listen to us talk about the differences between CPA firms and boutique providers. Thanks a lot. Check out Cherry Beggard's website, cbh.com for the latest guidance and resources on federal and state credits and other tax and business topics. This concludes today's podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. And thank you for listening in. Until next time.